It's funny. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting stuff out of the blue. Jason Newman, a friend of mine, who's a senior guy over at Odyssey, Friday <laughs> sends me a sends me a text. He goes, he goes, here's Shaq and Alonzo Morning talking about pickleball. So I'm getting I'm getting stuff thrown over my transom. And and if you if you happen to see that clip, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, who invest, who's been incredibly successful entrepreneur and investor since his playing days ended, has not yet invested in pickleball and what i told jason uh as we were going back and forth is if shaquille o'neal invests in pickleball i may have to rethink my position on the sport but until then that's fair right welcome to wait what sports biz chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, we're going to take a slightly different approach tonight. We don't have a guest, so we're going to riff on a bunch of different topics as we come down towards the end of the year. So without further ado, let's get started. What's on your mind? Well, there's plenty of Fun stories to actually talk about. Obviously, we're in the midst of the knockout stage of World Cup, so a lot going on there, and the action on the pitch just continues to be pretty pretty thrilling for sure. So maybe we'll touch on that at some point. Uh, I want to jump back, uh, focus on the U.S., and talk about the expansion of the college football playoff. Officially, we kind of knew this was coming, didn't we? We've talked about it before, but officially has been announced that they are going to be going to 12 teams, and they're going to do it in 2020. Four. So uh, just one more year in the current state, and they'll be moving to a 12 team, uh, 12 teams. And how this is executed, obviously, will be key. You may recall that last week we chatted a bit about the Purdue Michigan matchup for the Big Ten championship because Michigan and Ohio State happen to play in the same division of the Big Ten, and therefore they can't face each other in the championship. They clearly were the two best teams in the Big Ten this year which isn't surprising at all, by the way, the, t- the two biggest powerful programs in the in the conference. So here's how this is going to work. The four highest-ranked conference champs will be seeded one through four with first-round buys. And then the next four highest-ranked teams, highest-ranked teams by college football playoff selection committee standings, will host first-round matchups against the remaining teams. So there will be a buy. So this this the conference championship concept is the one that I think all the conferences are going to have to kind of go back and decide what it is that they're determining it on. And if if it was the case of the conference, the outright conference champion being awarded to the winner of the championship game, and somehow that conference champion wasn't ranked all that high, but would be the highest or among the highest of those other champions, a team that probably doesn't deserve a bye could, in theory, get into that game. Or am I completely reading this wrong? No, I think you're right. I think it it opens it up to that Cinderella story. But the Cinderella stories in March Madness typically occur during March Madness. This is a Cinderella story where somebody gets in to what is a much smaller playoff system than than the basketball one, right? Because you have a total of 12 teams. So in this case, had Purdue prevailed over Michigan in the Big Ten Championship, 
and went nine and four, right? If if I understand this correctly, right, they would have gotten an AQ, right, automatic qualifier for the playoff. Correct, and they if they somehow were see were ranked higher than other teams, they could possibly get into one of the top four slots. It would seem, at least on the math on the paper, would suggest that. Yeah, but I think it also allows for a team that deserves to get in because they won their conference championship but isn't necessarily as good as some of the other 11 teams may not be granted that buy, right? Because if they're... Correct. Yeah, so but I think I like, the way it, I like the way it works, right, on paper. Well, do you... Would you say though that these the conferences are going to have to look at their division breakdowns to determine what a conference championship means? And and I guess are they even going to run a conference championship? So number one, I think they will continue to have championship games because it drives revenue and drives interest in the conference. Number two, I would argue that there's less reason to revamp your divisions. Because in the scenario that we had this year in which Ohio State is making the playoffs despite not making its own conference championship game, right, that could happen again in the future and actually with a lot less drama than happened this past weekend, right? I mean, there was question as to whether or not, you know, Ohio State was going to get in, Alabama was going to get in, right? Clemson lost, TCU lost. So – so you're saying in an expanded field and play out this Big Ten scenario, Purdue wins, Purdue beats mm-hmm. Michigan. You could have that, three teams. You have three teams. And so it's – it's it, well, obviously in a 12-team expansion, Ohio State was never would have been a question mark. Um, there wouldn't have been a question at all around Ohio State being added to that top 12 because they were, they were that good throughout the season. Mm-hmm. But Purdue now gets in, so they have three. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I'm, I still think there are going to be – but there are always going to be these – problems with this type of selection there would be a lot of people you know questioning uh whether or not that a a purdue if we're using this year as an example would deserve to be in but you're right it does put certain uh, amount of drama and excitement back into those uh, uh into those championships if that's the case well listen the first time they set the field of 12 fans of the 13th team are going to be upset that's just the way it is right and some maybe they'll have some sort of argument. But I, I, I would like to see a scenario in which it's going back to what you were alluding to earlier, where the top teams in the conference play each other in the championship game, right? The two best teams play each other in the conference championship game. That is an ideal scenario. I don't know if that's feasible given the division structure as it exists. Yeah, you're right. And I do think so. I do think that that will be addressed. I guess to to just put a bow on that one point, and I may be of a different mind here. For a 12-team tournament, yes, it's expanded from four, so it's a lot larger. But if a team is out of the rankings that didn't even that that's not even registering, I honestly did not go back and look at exactly where Purdue was going into that game. And by the way, Purdue put up a hell of a fight against Michigan. But if they aren't, if a team is not anywhere even in consideration, and they win their championship game. For a 12-team tournament, I, I'm having I, – I get it. It's exciting, and that's, you know, uh, that's fun to see someone kind of go in. But it's still only 12 teams, and I just struggle a little with that 
being the possibility. So I do think some things have to be tweaked around on the conference level to ensure uh, uh, that that doesn't happen. I guess that's my view. And they probably will. Yeah. They probably will tweak it. But the field is set for this this year's playoffs, right? You've got Georgia playing Ohio State, which should be a great matchup. Um, Georgia's got that high-powered offense, and, and Ohio State uh, has a tremendous defense, right? Led by Jim Knowles. You know where he was a former head coach, Dave? Cornell. That's right. That's right. And then you've got TCU, which lost in right. overtime. Yeah. <laughs> TCU, which, who lost in a, in a, a great Unbelievable game, game to Kansas State. Then they get Michigan, right? So uh, you've got four great teams. You will have two really good teams in the championship. I'm not going to prognosticate on who I think it's going to be, but yes, you will. Cause that's what you do. Yeah. But then, but then I would also, I would also advise our listeners to go out and bet against everything that I, that I say on this program. Right. Right. If they want to have a chance. I'm going to prognosticate then. All right, go ahead. First of all, a credit to the college football playoff folks for resisting the urge to put Alabama in. Uh, and not TCU. And I thought they did a good job uh, and uh, you know getting Ohio State being added back in, but but keeping uh, but keeping TCU in that in that top mix. I thought that was great. before before you prognosticate, and they did that despite the heavy lobbying by Nick Saban during the SEC championship game. Nick Saban never does stuff like that, does he? Like to sway things, does he? No, no, no. no not but I think the most telling thing was that he was available to talk to the reporters, the the, the commentators, <laughs> at halftime of the SEC championship. <laughs> yeah. I think that gives the voters all they needed to know, right? right? So, Well, it is funny because that was a big thing about you're not even playing in your conference championship, so, you know, shut up. Now, Ohio State wasn't either, but yeah. um, a little different. So, anyway, I'm going to say TCU upsets Michigan. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think they're, I re, I just really like that team. I have to say, and I mean, Michigan's been really good. So, I mean, I, I know it's an upset, but yeah, I, I, I think that could be a really cool, fun thing uh, for this college football playoff. And uh, I, Georgia, you know, every time, like you see a half of Georgia, not looking Georgia ish, they do something, you know, to make you remember why they're the number one team. Um, so I'm I'm picking Georgia over Ohio State. See, with my, I mean, in my heart, I would love to pick Ohio State over Georgia, but I think Georgia is just too damn good. But I do, uh, so I would agree with you on that. I do have Michigan beating TCU. All right, I'm not so picking. We'll, the, we'll the have to see. To do that. You want to stick on the topic of college football while we're here? We can. So we're going to have these 12 teams playing in bowl games, right? Which is Eddie's good. I, there are 43 sanctioned bowl games right now, including for the first time ever the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, which I'm looking forward to. It's going to be the funniest one. Uh, let's hope so. But and not for what happens on the field. But 43 bowl games—that's a lot. There are a lot of bowl games, and the idea of what the bowl games represent—they're still they're still represent a very powerful lobby in terms of what happens in the sport. And, you know, as we know, just getting to this uh, new playoff system that, that we'll see in 2024, 
you know, took the Rose Bowl finally coming on uh, on board. <laughs> now, I think the CFP kind of had them over a barrel there at the end of this thing, and you know, they would have lost the fa- even any significance or significance. Uh, but as it is, they're able to say, you know, great, we're still the we're still the granddaddy. We're still part of the rotation, and and we're all happy together. But yeah, no, there are are a lot of bowl games because it's good for the kids, right? For it, with the exception of the the playoffs, right, where the stakes are particularly high, right? Um, the bowl games are fun for the for the players. They're fun for students. They're fun for alumni. They're fun for the host city and the host stadium. So I have no problem with that many bowl games, right? No, I think they're they they tend to be pretty fun and they're a great diversion during the year. You're right. They are great for for the city and you're right. They they generally do great things for charity. Wake is by the way, it's they're playing Missouri at the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa on the 23rd of December. Um a, fr- a friend of mine asked if I you going to Tampa? Thinking about going to Tampa? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be hanging out with my kids and my parents and my grandson in <laughs> Chicago around that time. Not going to Tampa. I mean, I could take the warmth, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it takes uh it takes a special kind of fan to go to those bowl games that are on or around Christmas Day. So I, I do I do want to bring something up. Um it is cynical, but it is serious, right? Um if if you watched the SEC championship game, Dr. Pepper, which has a great activation that they do at this time of year where they offer scholarships to uh, a winner of a contest to see how many uh, footballs they that person can toss into a, a giant Dr. Pepper can. So there were two young women who were competing against one another. The winner gets $100,000 for a scholarship. The, the loser gets $20,000, which is, is not nothing. Um, but these two young women, um, both of whom use the same technique, right? The chest pass type right. um, toss into the, into the can were tied through regulation. They had a 15 second overtime. They were tied through overtime and it was announced that because of a tiebreaker that was determined the day before the competition, one of the young women was going to win the was going to win the scholarship, and the other one was going to get the twenty thousand dollars. And I felt heartbroken for that other woman. I really did. And so the CMO of Keurig Dr Pepper comes out onto the field at Mercedes Benz Stadium, and it's obvious that most of the fans in the stands are booing booing heartily at the fact that this they were not woman, down with that at all no no they were booing heartily that this one young woman was going to get twenty thousand dollars and not a hundred thousand right now the cmo of jerick dr pepper i'm sure he's a bright guy and he's ascended to the c-suite at a at a big company right you would think he would have the presence of mind to recognize the situation and go, wait a second, I can turn these boos into cheers very easily when they hand me that microphone simply by saying, we know that we had a tiebreaker, but these two young women were such fierce competitors and did such a great job. We're going to give them both a hundred thousand dollars, right? It was not a zero sum game here, right? Number one, number two, 
you got to figure the guy had the signing authority for $80,000, right? Yeah. Very rarely would a CMO not have some degree of signing authority. $80,000. So, <laughs> so he gets booed heartily. Uh, and then the next day they come out and they say, oh, we're, we're going to, we're going to give this young woman hundred thousand dollars. We're going to, yeah. we're going to do it. They just totally blew an opportunity for a great PR moment. Yeah. The earned media opportunity in the moment would have easily, easily eclipsed, um, what they, what they actually were spending to increase the amount that they were going to give. Yeah. Not probably his best moment from a, making a, a decision on his feet now. You know, he's in front of a crowd. It's a little intimidating sometimes, but uh, the CMO. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Why he gets paid the big bucks. So listen, it was good that they turned around and did the right thing. Um, we don't know who you can imagine the CEO like going, what are you doing, man? But um, I hope not. But I, well, possibly. yeah, no, I, I, you know, who knows what, what really went on. But listen, ultimately they did the right thing. But yeah, it was an absolute missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. So that was my one, uh, my my one, sort of uh, pet peeve around the conference championships. Otherwise, there were some great games. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, what do you think about the news that surrounded Drew Brees and the points bet campaign <laughs> that uh, that had him being basically killed by a lightning strike in Venezuela, which just drew a lot of attention. Not using that as a pun, of course, and we've joked about Drew Brees. Uh, on the show before. Um, I'm a little torn on this one in that um, it has had the desired effect uh, in terms of people understanding what points bet, lightning bets even are. But the fact that they had to kill off their spokesperson to generate that well, seems a little yeah. extreme in the moment. Yeah, I, I'm with you. So let's let's take a step back and set the stage for our listeners who may not be familiar with the situation. So to your point, points bet has a, has a product out there called lightning bets. Drew Brees uh, is a spokesperson for PointsBet, along with 472 other companies that he endorses. <laughs> but there was a PR stunt that they were shooting a commercial. Was it Argentina? Venezuela. Venezuela, right? Where, where, where there is... Uh, the the highest the lightning highest... strike in the... Yeah, or one of the highest lightning strike areas in the world. Right. So they put out a video that seemed to suggest that Drew Brees had been hit by lightning. Now... On one level, I'm with you. On one level, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, right? Bringing attention to lightning bets and things like that. Where I think they fell short was that they didn't they didn't come clean very quickly on whether or not it was real. And I I I, I understand why they didn't they didn't come clean on that. But I, but from what I saw, people were genu genuinely upset at the thought that Drew Brees had been badly injured, if not worse. So that's where that's where I had a little bit of an issue. Now I will say this: the next time Drew Brees actually gets hit by lightning, he's not going to get any of my sympathy. Yeah, and by the way, you don't survive that type of lightning strike. I mean, you're dead. Let's just, <laughs> I mean, and and they weren't able to answer. And the video that was released has him kind of out in this massive storm, and then lightning strike, and then that's right. it. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a Blair Witch Project type of video. Yeah, I thought um, I thought the concept was absolutely brilliant. Quite frankly, yeah, right. I, I just I don't I don't know how you reconcile that brilliant concept with people's real concern about Drew Brees. Right. right. 
Overall, I'm going to say I'm I'm good with it. Uh, they they botched a little of the execution. Should have had a backup in case because it would. It's pretty natural to think people would have been considered if they were going to release this video, which looked very real. Yeah. Their follow up piece where they showed him, I think, in an ambulance, kind of getting up and saying, and then he gets out and he gets struck again. That was actually kind of funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and and speaking of fake videos, I don't know if you saw the one of Steph Curry supposedly hitting five full court yeah. shots in a row. I thought that right. was, that was pretty cool. He, and, and, and he did all of that without getting struck by lightning. So yes. kudos, kudos to him and the, right. the fake videographer. So what else you got? Oh man. So much stuff going yes. on. Right. Let's see. What else? Oh, coach prime, Deion Sanders. Yeah. Leaving Jackson state for university yeah. of Colorado. One of those times where the rumors that started over two weeks ago, actually, came true now um talk about you know botching sort of the pr aspect of it um there is some question about deon sanders and and how he handled his first press conference right he told all all the kids on the current get team the transfer for might want to get into transfer portal um <laughs> uh, i don't know maybe he took that hr lesson from elon musk i don't know um uh, and then so I, and then had um, one of the most Dion like quotes ever. I'm bringing my own baggage, and it's Louis Vuitton, <laughs> right? Uh, right? But but the thing that the the transfer portal comment was bad enough, right? Because you you might actually lose kids that you otherwise wouldn't, unless you're talking to these kids individually and telling them how you fit into you know his vision for the team. But he did he did basically name his son as a starting quarterback right um without even playing you know a down in spring football yeah. or summer sessions yeah. um you know his son played very well for jackson state this year but you know this isn't jackson state right this is the pac-12 yeah i'm very excited for him i i think this is this is great and he has brought so much attention to the hbcus and he's put a competitive product uh on the field. So I think he's earned this shot. Um, and we'll see how it, uh, how it takes off. The, the challenges for a college coach today are so severe with the transfer portal happening right around the time of signings, by the way. Mm -hmm. So the ability to even know who your team is going to be in the following year, you'd think he would have backed off the portal line just for that. Like he, he wants to have, you know, some people that he knows are at least somewhere on the depth chart, uh, heading into, uh, heading into next season. But, you know, his goal is to change things up and he's going to do it his way as he did at Jackson State. Uh, so it'll be exciting to follow and see where uh, see where things go with it. But overall, uh, you know, I think it's exciting and, and you know, hopefully it doesn't leave a big hole uh, back in terms of, of who could be attracted to be working at HBCUs. Um, and there are a lot of people that are not happy about this, thinking he's, you know, kind of left them in the lurch and bringing people along. And I'm like, you know what? He has an opportunity to go coach at a at a at a power five conference. How do you not give he him that is, opportunity? Yeah, he is not unlike countless other coaches Correct. that have left programs for a larger opportunity. And now, so uh, that's re to me is a ridiculous criticism of him. What I would say is what it has demonstrated is that it doesn't matter where you coach, right? Traditionally, a uh, a school like Jackson State, which is not competed on a national level, if you're a good coach and you can get the most out of your players, right, and and you can be successful, then you can 
you can use that as a stepping stone to a bigger opportunity with a bigger school. So I think it's a, I think it's definitely a net positive for HBCUs in general, Jackson State uh, in particular, at least in the short run, right? Now coaches mm -hmm. can say, listen, it doesn't matter where I coach. If I'm successful, I'm going to get that opportunity. And he was successful. Yes. There's no question about that. Um, I, I listen, we'll see what he's, whether he can take that coaching ability to, to a power five conference. My sense is he probably can, right? It might take him a year or two to right. sort of, you know, get his guys in there and, and, and get up and running. But, um, I'm glad he got the opportunity and, and, you know, he did not need the money, right. To go into coaching in the first place. So, uh, good for him. Right. Hey, I want to go back over to Qatar and World Cup. I think there are a couple things that we can talk about there since it has been a major storyline in the in the sports business, of course, and we've covered it a lot. There's something I want to say. There's a, there was a piece that you and I discussed while we were recording last week, and it was edited out of the show just because whatever, it didn't fit or it was, you know, I probably said something stupid or we had sure you know, technical problems. Um. But I said to you is that, hey, Kylian Mbappe is a really good soccer player. And you went on to say, well, that's the understatement of the year, like the most obvious thing anyone could say. And I'm sorry, he's a really freaking good player. Like if you have not watched this kid play, you have to watch him play because he's just phenomenal. I think you said he was the best player in the world. I don't think you said he was a really good player. I think you said he was the best player in the world, which has been said higher. by others, which has been said by others since then. Yeah. And um, listen, that's, that's uh, shaping up to be an incredible match between France and England. It sure and, is. That's going to, and that's going to actually do a big number. The three, one loss of the U S men's team to the Netherlands was, um, was actually down in coverage uh, compared to the last two times that the team has made it uh, to the round of 16, uh, which was a little surprising, uh, particularly given uh, the two very highly rated matches uh, against England and then Iran. And obviously uh, England being such a power in the Iran match, having all this other geopolitical stuff kind of surrounding it, I think made it natural uh, that those would do uh, high ratings. But this was a big, you know, getting to this, to the knockout uh part of this tournament uh, was big. So I was expecting a little bigger number on that. Still not bad. It was 16.5 million on Fox and uh, Telemundo's um, US, uh, English and Spanish language television. So not, not, not a bad number, um, but a little less. But going back to that, you know, that English, or uh, excuse me, the um, England-France match, I think that'll actually do a pretty big number here and certainly will do a huge number globally. Yeah, this is, you know, there have been some, you, you tend to think that, upsets are left at the group stage but you know morocco taking it to spain today now morocco gets the pleasure of playing portugal which is winning without cristiano ronaldo right came off the bench late in the match today when the yep. uh when they when the uh result was already pretty much determined there, there's so many great things about about world cup and the one one of the things i've noticed is just how i mean these goalkeepers are just like 
coming up huge. I mean, you know, Matt Turner, I thought played a great tournament, right. For the, for the U S team. Um, I don't know if you watched any of the Croatia Japan match, but that went into, that went into penalties. Uh, and, uh, the keeper Dominic Livakovic. I mean, he saved, he saved three penalties, one of them that match against a really tough, irrepressible team from Japan that sends, you know, Croatia, uh, on again. And, you know, they made their run in Russia, uh, to the finals against France, which is where we first, of course, saw Mbappe, um, show us his magic. But then in the, uh, in the Morocco, uh, Spain match today, uh, Morocco's keeper came up big again, oh, yeah. penalties, you know, and, and, you know, I had no idea that Bono was, you know, was that good at soccer as well. <laughs> he still has what he's looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Morocco's keeper is Yassine uh, uh, Bono, um, yeah. but he's known as Bono or Bono. I don't know how they pronounce it on that, but I say Bono because of Bono. Um, anyway, but one of the things I wanted to say was, uh, I was working yesterday and I get a call and when, you know, my, my father's 92 years old. So when he calls me, I answer the phone no matter mm -hmm. what, but he calls just to tell me he had just finished watching the Croatia match and how awesome it was. So my dad's <laughs> Croatian. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in fact, the first selfie he ever took was four years ago in the world cup, uh, as Croatia was making its run and he took it a picture of himself with a Croatian team hat that I had gotten him. Um, and uh, he, he, he took that photo proudly and it was really neat, but it's just one of the, you know, and he didn't follow this sport growing up, but it's something to, to identify with. And uh, it's, I'm very excited to see Croatia playing quite well again. Yeah. It's nice to see. Yeah. There's been, there's been a lot of fun things to watch on a more serious note. Qatar now is sort of uh, feeling a little bit full of itself. Um, says it's, it's going to go after the 2036 uh, Olympic Games. Uh, this despite the fact that 6,500 migrant workers died building the stadiums, um, which is just absolutely abhorrent. Um, I, I, I don't know what the IOC is going to do, but I, I, I think there should be some uh, requirement that you demonstrate a certain level of respect for human rights before you're granted the games and and yep. i know that wasn't the case with, with with china right being great given the games twice in the last 20 years um and uh you could even say that it, it wasn't the case with sochi in 2014 but um well when sochi has been granted games obviously there has been a lot of protest because of some of their laws that i'm not sure are quite as what i would consider repressive as as what we're seeing in qatar no, um, we certainly didn't have the situation like we have with Ukraine right now when those games were given and no, that's I, they, they were probably they were probably awarded the games in 2008 or so or so or 2010 well, something like that. Listen, we know that FIFA has had its issues with corruption. Understatement. And the IOC has certainly had its issues over time as well. I would say that the IOC uh, and the Olympic Games, despite all the things that I think are good that FIFA has put in place in terms of what it wants to represent, what, he, what it wants the sport of football to represent globally, um, has a higher ideal to be to to have to you know cross to put a country in consideration. Now, interestingly, Qatar as a country and a and a, a small one at that is more logically suited to hosting an Olympic Games than it would be a World Cup, which normally plays. Um, across a number of locations, whereas while there certainly games are spread out 
over a distance. They tend to be granted to a city. You, but you uh, can't. But you you would have to be in the same situation in which those games were not played in the traditional summer period, right? For the same reason that the World Cup wasn't played right. during the traditional summer window for for soccer, right? Right. You can't have Olympic games with 105 degree heat, right? So let me just say this, because we could talk about this a long time and kind of debate, but I, but I will say this, if they became considered, like actually in the consideration set, I, I would find it absolutely hard to believe. I, I can't believe that they can get there. And the scary thing is, is if they did get in the consideration set, like seriously in the consideration set, at that point, who knows what happens with the money that starts exchanging hands. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it'll get there. I actually don't think it will get there for a long, long time. Um, because there are just too many things, particularly coming after Russia and in China, uh, to be able to say that, you know, this fits with what our vision of what, what sport yeah. on a global basis is supposed to be and human rights and all those other things. Right. What else you got? I got a couple things. What else you got? Oh, Nike. oh yeah. Okay. That's where I was going to go. Wow. So Nike, nice thing alike. And then yeah, as so, to, as so to ours. It's taken, I guess, a little bit of time, but I guess they were debating, you know, what his playing status was going to be and everything. But Nike has officially dropped the Kyrie and uh, and the Kyrie shoe, and uh, everyone's kind of playing the game of, you know, we're acting as though this was a, a mutual decision. I think Kyrie and his team around him have have kind of made that announcement that it was mutual. It was very clear that Nike just said that they're not they're dropping this contract. Um, but right move probably took a little time. I've heard that that shoe is actually pretty popular among uh, players. I don't know how popular it is in the marketplace. I've not I've looked at that, um, but I think that was a pretty easy decision for Nike. Should have been. Yeah. Whenever you hear mutual decision. Yeah. It's never. Yeah. You know, All bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of the story when I was in college. My roommate had a job at the local. Uh, grocery store on campus, right? And uh, one day he was supposed to be at work and I came back to our room and he was there and I said, aren't you supposed to be at work? And he said, we came to a mutual decision. And I said, oh, what was that? Well, they said I was the worst worker they ever had and I agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your mutual decision. There are consequences for that type of behavior and I, I don't fault Nike for being deliberate in its decision-making. Uh, I'm sure they went through their own due diligence, um, not unlike what, you know, the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets did. And they decided that, um, you know, he was not, his behavior and his words are not consistent with uh, brand ideals for Nike. And yes, you can talk about Nike and the issues they faced with some of their factories in Asia and things like that. And I'm not saying they're perfect, but uh, perhaps they were trying to see if, if you know, Kyrie was, was contrite and 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 uh, was learning and evolving and growing from this situation and determined that he wasn't. And that's that's a great thing about, you know, free market capitalism. Right. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on this week. Um, we turning, got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of turning, stuff. Right. Turning our attention to the NWSL, right, which continues to see sort of fallout from their situation with, with coaches and executives treating uh, players poorly and, and sexual misconduct and, and all other sorts of things. Uh, both the, the owners of the Portland Thorns and the Chicago Red Stars have announced they're going to be selling those clubs. Both of those teams were, were 
smack in the middle of that situation. Uh, Merrick Paulson, the owner of the Portland Thorns, said he will sell that club, but he will not sell his interest in uh, the MLS side, uh, the Portland Timber. So he's he's getting out of the of the women's game. Now we've talked about women's sports on this on this podcast in the past. My my firm belief is that there will be no shortage of deep-pocketed owners who will want to buy either or both of those clubs. So I look forward to seeing who that is. Yeah, I agree. I think the time for investment in that type of space, in that space, particularly in, the, in women's sports in general, but NWSL coming out of this report, I think is a fabulous opportunity. So I completely agree with you. And I'm just kind of thinking about the significance of the very short tenure of of Jessica Berman as the as the commissioner of the NWSL, just how much how much has happened, um, some of which all was started before she uh, was put in place. But uh, she seems to be managing things with a plum. And additionally, the teeth that the Yates report seems to have had in terms of actual action. You don't see that often. You see a lot of times you see these reports and they kind of sit there. But uh, I think everyone from uh, certainly the U.S. soccer side to the NWSL side um, and then the ownership uh, and certainly the players have been pretty much unified in this and that uh, and that change is not only important, but absolutely necessary. And and uh, it's to be noted that there is another report that's going to be coming out. It was originally supposed to come out before the end of the year. I'm not sure if they're going to meet their self-imposed deadline, but the league has has its own internal report that is going to come out that Jessica Berman talked about at World Congress of Sports earlier in the fall. Identify the wrongdoers and the wrongdoing, come clean on it and be transparent, punish the wrongdoers, and then um, put policies and procedures in place that uh, hopefully make it impossible for a situation even remotely similar to it to come up again. So we'll see what they come up with. But it's it's not unlike when Adam Silver took over the NBA, right? And one of the first official things he had to deal with was Donald Sterling uh, and his comments as owner of the LA Clippers, right? If you would write, you know, the the top hundred things a a commissioner was going to have to deal with, you know, that was probably not going to be on the list at that time with Adam Silver. Unfortunately, now um, it's something that could happen, right? but I think to your point, right. Jessica Berman has, has handled this as, as well as anyone could have. And, uh, you know, sort of fixing the plane as it flies and continuing to see growth in, you know, audience numbers, sponsor dollars and all that good stuff that that we want to focus on, hopefully, for the league going forward. Right. Yeah. And just touching back on the Adam Silver thing. I mean, that is what made Adam Silver the commissioner, right? I mean, that, that is the thing that opened everybody's eyes that this guy's, this guy's something special. There's, it really made his mark. And, and I think that has, uh, has carried with him. He's, he's had a few, uh, less than stellar moments, I think since then, but, uh, but overall that was kind of the big, uh, big one. I think we're going to try to kind of come toward a, a wrap up of this show. There's a couple things I want to, I want to say, and then get a quick comment from you before we actually close. But number one, and this was now going back a couple weeks, maybe. I don't think it was just last week. Anyway, when we talked about Thanksgiving, you said something that I I needed to correct and I forgot to do it uh, more quickly. And that is that you mentioned that you were thankful to me for taking you along on my journey. And if there was ever anything that really was born out of a common idea that we both happened to share, it was this podcast. So I want to make sure that you're, this was not 
my idea as much as it was just this, we both had a similar idea and we were able to merge the path. So I want to say thank you to you for that. And I just want well, to kind of correct the record on it. Well, thank you. That entirely not necessary, but thoroughly appreciated. Thank you. And and lastly, I just wanted to get a quick comment from you on pickleball being named number nine on Ad Age's list of top marketers of the year. Yeah, who's number one? Pumpkin Spice, I right? I mean, y- you know, Walmart. Well, you know, listen, it's got good PR, but I will say this. <laughs> It's pickleball. Yeah. It's funny. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting stuff out of the blue. Jason Newman, a friend of mine who's a senior guy over at Odyssey, Friday sends me a sends me a text. He goes, he goes, here's Shaq and Alonzo Morning talking about pickleball. So I'm getting I'm getting stuff thrown over my transom. And and if you if you happen to see that clip, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, who invest who's been incredibly successful entrepreneur and investor since his playing days ended has not yet invested in pickleball. And what I told Jason uh, as we were going back and forth is if Shaquille O'Neal invests in pickleball, I may have to rethink my position on the sport. But until then. That's fair, right? Number come on, number as a marketing of the of the sport, again, I don't think maybe people just aren't getting how we're delineating this idea. No, we've never criticized it for being a potentially best recreate great recreational sport. And, and in my mind marketing is a is a conscious effort made up of numerous different tactics deployed in the support of an overall strategy. Right? Wait, what? Are you like look are you do you have that memorized? Is that something you talk about in classes? That was good. That was good. Good definition. No, I know. I I I just you know, I've been doing this a while. I know. So to me, that's marketing, right? What has happened to pickleball has been serendipitous. It has been, what's the term I'm looking for? They have, they have been lucky to be where they are, right? Uh, opportunistic, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't think that's a result of any grand plan by the major players in pickleball. So I, I even take, if I'm not curmudgeonly enough about this point, I even take, uh, take exception to, to them being uh, uh, pointed out as good as great marketers. I don't think they are. I, I think they have been benefited from a lot of attention and publicity and PR, but I don't necessarily think that's been uh, the result of this grand marketing strategy. All right, that's that's fair. I just wanted you to have the opportunity. <laughs> you like to, to get me upset before we. Uh, you like to get me upset yeah, before let's, we I, end the yeah, episode. Yeah, I figured it was good to wrap on pickleball because this has been a very different type of show, right? Um, so, <laughs> if there's anybody listening who represents the pickleball community, I would love to have you on and have a very thoughtful respectful conversation about Dude. the sport to to try to to try to see if i can have my mind changed yes the participation is growing immensely yes it's getting a tremendous amount of publicity i still don't see it as a viable commercial entity right. in any way to compete with even niche sports all right well drew Brees and tom brady are both big investors in pickleball which one would you like us to go after if Drew Brees huh. is still alive. Yeah. 
that's a good question. I mean, Tom Brady might be a little too now. Now talk about <laughs> you want to talk about you know investing acumen. Tom Brady was the spokesperson for FTX. Right. Right. So I might, you know. Yeah. And you talk about no hype of brands. His, the, in, the Tom Brady campaign around FTX was all about basically him just calling people and going, you got to get in. So it was all based on that idea of hype, which never was going to be a good look for uh, crypto anyway. And, and certainly ended up being, you know, a big part of the problem with FTX in particular. Yeah. Listen, I think that is a good time. For a wrap. Um, so that is a show, a pretty unique one today. Uh, we appreciate you uh, letting us kind of go through a lot of riffing there. So um, thank you to us for getting through an episode uh, without a guest. But as always, mostly thank you for listening, for taking a little time with us every week. Uh, we do hope you enjoy the content, just a fraction of how much we enjoy putting it out. If that is indeed the case, please like us, share us, review us, and engage with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. You can generally find us at DP and McGee. So until next week, I'm DP and he's McGee, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>